Thank you so much for that warm introduction, Marissa. Um, and thank you, Eastside. It's a, deli a delight and an honor to stand in front of you. Um, Marissa already shared a little bit about me. I guess one thing I could add, uh, in addition to saying that um, uh, my wife is Mary. She leads women's Bible study. Uh, she's also, uh, when she's not taking care of our three boys, she's a photographer. Um, and uh, we call them our bouncy boys. That's, that's what we've begun to call them lately. They are hilarious. Normally you'll see them back at Eastside Kids uh, with endless energy. And if you wait long enough, maybe after service, you'll see them out here rolling their bodies down this aisle right here as though it were some kind of grassy hill. That's actually happened before. But it's a, light, a delight to be with you today. Um, and I just want to say to y'all, thank you. Being at Eastside has been an absolute privilege for, for us as a family, truly. We were talking about this. Um, Davis, our second born, was born the week that Eastside launched. And so it's a special week to think about both his birthday and also the, the week that our church began. And you guys have encouraged us. You've been there for us. You've uh, cared for our children. And, and we, I just want to say thank you before we get started. So if you began, if you were with us last week, we began our summer series going through the book of Psalms. Last week, Adam did Psalm 40, and this week I'm going to take us through Psalm 103. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and begin to open it, and you can turn to Psalm 103 or pull it up on your phone as well. Um, and while you're doing that, let me stay, set the stage for our discussion on Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite Psalms. I was thankful Adam uh, gave me the chance to pick one of my favorite psalms to preach on. And uh, it's probably one of the most famous ones in terms of just the number of times that it's quoted by, by people. Um, I think you'll see what I mean when, as we go through it. Here's what two theologians have said, uh, theologians or pastors, about Psalm 103. A man named G. Campbell Morgan said, this perhaps the most pure, perfect song of pure praise to be found in the Bible. Through centuries, it has been sung by glad hearts and today, it is as full and fresh, full of beauty as ever. Charles Spurgeon wrote, There's too much in this psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all-comprehending scriptures which, the, which is a Bible in itself, and it might alone suffice for the hymn book of the church. Really powerful words, and I hope that can whet your appetite for going through Psalm 103 now. So what we're going to do in our discussion today is I'm going to read through the whole psalm all the way through. And then we're going to go back through it slower, and I'm going to highlight four points uh, that I think the Lord has, has put on my heart to share with you today. So here we go. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who, he who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his way known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. 
And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so now we're going to go back through the psalm and we're going to focus on four points. Let me read them for you as we get going. The first point we're going to talk about is we don't naturally worship God as we should. We don't naturally worship God as we should. Point two is going to be remembering who God is fuels authentic worship. Point three, God's love for you is immeasurable. God's love for you is immeasurable. We're going to see that here in the psalm. And four, God is compassionate in our weakness. God is compassionate in our weakness. Okay, here's, here we go. Point number one, we don't naturally worship God as we should. Let's go back to verse one real quick and read it again together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Like many other Psalms that we see, this one begins with a call to worship. David's saying, let's bless the Lord, O my soul. But unlike other Psalms, normally he's giving it to a room like this. He's, he's giving it to a group of people. But in this Psalm, it's unique a little bit. He's giving the call to worship to his own soul. He's talking to himself. He's calling his own soul to come up and worship the Lord and give him worth. Well, what is worship? I think we often hear this word uh, spoken in church, but we can go by it pretty quickly, either not knowing what it means or maybe we've forgotten what it means. So let me, let me offer just a quick definition for our time together. Um, this isn't the only definition, but I think it's, it's one that we can, we can work off of. So worship is ascribing worth to something or someone. Let me say it again. Worship is ascribing worth to something or someone. I actually found something really helpful as I was going through and, and researching this is that the word worship is related to the word worth. And so if you ever forget or you need an easy thing to remember, when you think of worship, you can think of worth. I'm giving worth to something. Uh, we as, as people give worth to all kinds of things. We're creatures who, who love to worship in a generic sense. We give value. We give worth to our work. We give worth to our relationships, to sports teams, to all kinds of things. That's the way God made us. We are people of worship. If I can risk an illustration, um, my boys, I told you are bouncy boys, and I wasn't kidding. They love to bounce. They are so full of energy. And uh, Mary and I, so much so that we're always looking for things 
to, <laughs> to, uh, to find them, to, to channel that energy in a way that doesn't result in them getting, ending, ending up in the hospital and also allows them to have a lot of fun. So the other day we did something, we did a thing. We ordered something on Amazon that I wished that I had had when I was a kid. We ordered a bounce house. We ordered a bounce house, and a lot of you are judging me right now, and half of you are judging me. The other half have kids, and you already have one in your house. So we ordered a bounce house, and it's been hilarious to watch them enjoy that thing. And they've enjoyed it so much that now there's, they've almost formed their own little ritual around it. Whenever we lay this thing out on the floor in the living room or out in the backyard, they'll come running up, man, and they'll gather around it. And the first thing that we do is we turn on the motor and then the, you hear this whirring sound come from the motor and their eyes get big, man. They get big. And then they see the base of the bounce house start to slowly rise off the ground. And then the last thing is they see these columns start to lift up with the netting in it. And by this time, they have their hands raised in the air and they're chanting, bounce house, bounce house. It is so funny to watch, but... Um, I, I give you that illustration to show a couple things. I think a couple things I was thinking about when I see that is that, one, that how naturally that came to them to give something worth like that. Uh, we didn't coach them in that. That naturally came out. And the second thing is that worship, that they're giving worth to that involves their whole bodies. All their, their body, mind, and soul was directed in that moment at giving this bounce house worth. So then Christian worship involves directing all of our faculties, all of our bodies, our mind, our mind and our spirit towards giving God worth. Of course, God wants us to give value and worth to our work, to all these good things he's given us, to relationships, to, to a sports team perhaps. Uh, but the vision for Christian worship is that everything comes underneath the umbrella of worshiping God when we receive those good gifts from him, we turn around and give him uh, gratitude and, and praise for that. That's the Christian view of worship. And so the point is not that we don't naturally worship. It's that we don't, just, we don't naturally worship God as we should. That's the point we're talking about here as we go back to the psalm. So why is it that we don't naturally worship God as we should? David's going to give us a clue here in this first verse. And take a look at it again. He says, forget not all his benefits. Forget not. One answer I think that would be correct here as to why we don't worship God as we should is that we have the presence of sin in our lives. We know that even though as we've, if we've trusted Christ, man, we've been forgiven. We've trusted him by, by faith or by grace through faith. And we've been completely forgiven and the power of sin no longer has control over my life. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be still the presence of my sin, the presence of sin. But I think David is taking a little bit, he's taking it a different angle here in the sense of saying, I think also one of the reasons we don't worship God is that we just forget how awesome God is. Man, we just, we forget, we have short-term memories in thinking about our God. We also see this throughout the story of the people of God. The pattern goes something like this, that the people of God are in trouble. They cry out to God and they say, God, help us. 
And God rescues them out of their distress in the most spectacular way. And they're amazed in the moment. The people are amazed and grateful in the moment. But then just a couple chapters later, a couple more minutes reading, and we see them going back, going back to grumbling, ungrateful, fearful, doubting. I look at this and I say, what were they thinking? I would have done a better job. I would have remembered how amazing it was that I just got saved by crossing the Red Sea or out of a boat that was about to sink on the Sea of Galilee. I would have done a better job. But the reality is, y'all, and we know this too, that we are forgetful people. We forget the goodness of God in our lives so easy, despite all the many examples I could call to mind right now in my own life or those around me. We are forgetful people. And so the first point, at the outset of Psalm 103, David looks at his own soul. He's been called to worship, and he notices that his own soul is not worshiping God as it should, and he's not okay with that. So point number two, then, point number one was we don't worship, naturally worship God as we should. Point two is remembering who God is fuels our authentic worship. So what does David offer us here as the answer to our forgetfulness. In David's words, he, sa- he says, remember all the benefits of God. That's how he's going to phrase it. He's going to phrase it as, remember all these benefits of God. And the rest of the psalm, I want you to watch it, he's going to list out in various ways all these benefits that he can call to his mind to help him in his worship. So let's do this. Let's read verse 3 through 5 together. Again, Here we go. This is David talking about who God is. Verse three, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. A couple of quick things I want you to see here. Forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, satisfies. Think about those five action verbs. There's a progression here. It begins with David saying, I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. That's the first thing I need. And then at the end, it ends in this picture of beautiful spiritual renewal and this picture of an eagle flying and saying, this is what it feels like to be renewed in the Lord. These benefits of God, verses three through five. The second thing I want you to see is that God's the one acting here. He's so gracious. He's the one acting. He's saying that he does all these things. David's saying that God does all these things. God's the actor. And so this is a really powerful section of scripture. And right now I want to transition to do something a little bit different that we don't always do uh, in the middle of service. But I want you, uh, I want us to do this together because I think this is what David has in mind here. I want to spend two minutes meditating on these verses, three through five together. We'll do it, we'll do it um, over just the course of a couple minutes, and I'll invite you to close your eyes in just a second. And what I'll do is I'm going to read a series of questions, and I want you in the middle of those questions, I'll leave some silence, and I want you to think about what these five action words mean, what the way that you've seen God work in your own life uh, in this way. Let's see, let's see how that affects our worship. I think our hearts are going to be stirred for the Lord. So if you'd be willing right now, let's all close our eyes together. Close our eyes. And I'm just going to leave some silence in here. 
And we're going to meditate on this. Forgives. How have you felt God's forgiveness in your life since you trusted Christ? Think about that. Heals. Think about the way the Lord, that you've seen him heal sin in your life, a broken relationship, an issue with anger and addiction. How has God healed you? Redeems. Think about a time in your life where you felt like you were in a pit, man. There was no way out. Think about how God sustained you in that period. Crowns. How does it feel that the Lord doesn't, isn't just content to forgive and heal you, but he wants to crown you with royalty? And what will it be like to be in the presence of God and be fully satisfied when you're with him in heaven? You can open your eyes now. I hope that that short meditation blessed and stirred your heart for the Lord. I think that's, when I was reading this, I, I just thought, I think this is what David had us, for us in mind, uh, in mind for us to do, that we would not just let these truths stay in our head, but they would make their way down to our hearts. And I hope that that short meditation uh, helped get us in that mode. So let's continue to do that as we move to point number three. So points number one and two were, uh, number one was, we don't naturally worship God as we should. Point two is, remembering who God is fuels our authentic worship. And point number three is going to be, God's love for you is immeasurable. Whereas verses three through five were primarily about God's actions toward his people, in the next set of verses, David's going to kind of zoom out, and he's going to look and focus on the big picture of God's character. David's going to answer the question, I just, you know, we read those verses three through five. What must the love of God be like? What must the love of God be like that he would lavish such kindness on his people? How could I even put that into words? Here's how he's going to do it. Verse 11. We're going to skip down to verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The way David thinks to describe, that's, that's the proper way to describe God's love, is he wants to use immeasurable distances. Immeasurable distances. First, the vertical. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And then another immeasurable distance the east and the west, so far as, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Praise be to God. Romans 8.1, this reminds me of that, that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so 
David's, gonna, David's giving us a little bit different perspective here on the benefits of following God. In my own words, I wrote down, we can feel content and secure knowing that God's love for us is both deeper and wider than we could ever imagine. We know we don't naturally worship God as we should, but remembering his benefits and looking at his immeasurable love helps us greatly to that end. David's saying, do you want your heart to be stirred for God? Meditate on this. Meditate on the immeasurable distances that I'm going to use to describe God's love. Meditate on his vastness, the vastness of his love. That will stir your heart for worship. And so point number four, here we go. God is compassionate in our weakness. The last point was God's love for you is immeasurable. This point is God is compassionate in our weakness. So David's been showing off the vastness of God's love with these immeasurable distances. Now he's going to contrast it by showing off his nearness. Look at this in verse 13. Here we go. As, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And listen to this, church. This is good news. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I think what makes this piece really interesting and helpful is, is how, what a contrast it is to the last bit of verses. On the one hand, David had just described terms that might, you might even be tempted to feel like it's a little abstract. These measure, as far as the east is from the west, shows off the bigness of God. And we might be tempted to think if God's that big, he could never be, he could never relate to me or he could never be close to me. But David says, no. Not only is God high and transcendent, but he's also very near to you. If you want to think about it, he's like a loving father who has compassion on his kids. That's what David wants to tell us. Like a loving father, he wants to show compassion to his kids. He feels compassion for them when they don't do it perfectly. And even as David is saying that we should exert effort in remembering God and worshiping him, he's also saying, hey, be encouraged. God remembers you. God remembers that your frame is dust. God remembers that you're not always going to get it right. And he is kind and gracious. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to die on the cross as a substitute for us and to be raised. This is why Jesus came, because our frames were imperfect. And that's what David wants us to remember here. So again, do you want to have your heart stirred for worship to God do you want to worship God as you should? Meditate on this. Meditate on the fact that God's love for you is there when you're weak. God shows compassion on us in our weakness. We're going to skip down to verse 20 now. We're getting toward the end. Our last, last section of scripture. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In these final verses, we're going to see David commanding all of creation to join in chorus in worshiping God together. But then what's really we should take note of is in the last line, David ends the psalm in the exact same way he began it. 
He issues a command to his own soul to bless the Lord, just like he did in the beginning. He's telling his own soul, you need to worship God as well, alongside creation. And so I think with this, we're left with a question, church. We're left with a question, what type of people will we be? What type of individuals will we be? What kind of church will we be? Will we be people who join in the course of creation in worship to our God? Or will we settle for something different? I want to try and land the plane here by bringing this down uh, to the ground level. And I want to say that um, in thinking about this psalm, we all walk into this room each week with difficult circumstances uh, that we're dealing with. We may be thinking about a new relationship or a new job that's maybe not working out the way that we thought it would or that we would have hoped. Maybe we're, somebody's not physically, mentally, or spiritually well in our lives. Maybe you've been praying for something uh, for a long time and you feel like God is not answering that. I want to encourage you. Uh, what I want to say to you is that Satan uh, would love to take those things and, and twist them and, and cause us to accelerate our forgetfulness of the benefits of following God and, and hurt our ability to worship. He would love to do that. He would love to do that. I've even experienced experienced this a couple weeks ago as I was getting ready for this sermon. I was thinking about this and I was thinking, <laughs> I'm feeling some ingratitude today about just how much I feel I need to have, have to do over the next week. I, I feel like I'd love to just go on a vacation. I was just feeling ungrateful. We all experience this. Satan's attempts to do this. But when I look at David in this psalm, I see a man who is a lot like you and me. David had a lot going on in his life that was really difficult. We know that from the rest of scripture. I mean, constantly, both internally and externally. He had things going on in his heart. There were challenges, temptations for him, remorse. And he had people coming after him, trying to get him. So there was, he was coming from every side. And yet David knew and recognized that he had a measure of control about how he would respond in the midst of those difficult circumstances. East side, I get excited about us being people that lead well, that lead our souls and the souls around us well in remembering who God is and worshiping because being able to worship him because of that. Let me say it again. I, re, I get excited about us, about us being a people who lead our souls and the souls around us well in remembering our God. And that when things get hard for us, and those around us, we don't just throw in the towel. We don't just let our hearts go toward, straight towards ingratitude, but rather in the power of the Holy Spirit that we would resolve to create rhythms in our life that help us remember the goodness of God. And take note, remembering God, we don't have to do it alone. It's one of the kindnesses of God. He gives us this room full of people to help us do that. And the reality is, I need to see you worship. I need to see you giving worth to God. And you need to see me giving worth to God. We help one another. When I'm greeted by you in a green shirt at the front door, it helps me to remember my God. When I hear you singing songs or expressing your gratitude to God by raising your hands in worship to praise him, it helps me to remember my God. When I stand at attention to hear the word of God read over me aloud, even that helps me to remember my God. When I take the Lord's Supper and I think about 
Jesus' sacrifice for my life, the broken body, that picture of the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus. It helps me to remember my God, remember who he is. And when I go pick up my kids at Eastside Kids, bouncing, and you who have generously given your time to teaching my children gospel truths, it helps me to remember my God. If we do this well, Eastside, I think we will also experience renewed strength to face those difficult circumstances. They're hard. There's no way around it. And we're not going to do it perfectly. But that's the kindness of the Lord that we worship, is that as we're worshiping him, I think he gives us renewed strength, that, like that picture that he's talked about, that David talked about with the eagle. I think that's, that's how he works with us. He's so kind. And we're never going to get perfect. That's a given, not on this side of heaven. We're always going to struggle with our remembrance of who God is. But the Lord knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. That is good news, church. What he wants us to do is simply say, I'm going to choose to bless the Lord, oh my soul. Thank you guys for being here and thank you for listening today. Let's pray together. Father, we, we're so grateful um, that you've been so kind to us, Lord. You've, you've forgiven us. You've healed us. You are healing us. You're in the process of it. You're satisfying us. Your, your love is immeasurably big for us, but you're also very near. Lord, help these truths sink in deeply to us today. And I pray, Lord, that as we walk out of here, and as we continue to worship, we let them stir our souls up right now and that we would sing with a greater passion and, and enjoy the Lord with a greater enjoyment as we do all these things. You're so kind to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.